safety. That's a word we hear a lot from our bank accounts to our cars in the parking lot to those in our own beating hearts and whoever's in the White House, it goes on and on. In so many ways, in so many fashions, this safety, this safety has been promised by our fellow man. There's one for every context. But yet, whenever those walls crumble and fall, we inevitably look around and astounded, dumbfounded at how quickly our safety crumbles and falls. You see, we can build our castles as high as we want. We can sleep in a bedchamber locked up with a thousand different locks and still toss and turn all night being attacked by our own thoughts. That's safety. It's an empty promise given by man, not him. You see, we've bought into this illusion of safety from this world given by men in this world claiming to be not of this world and it's promise after promise. And yes, I'll say it, this idea of safety does not exist. It's a lie. And we hear it in the Old Testament and throughout the heresy, love God and he will make you rich and happy. That's amazing because God never says that. And now when tragedy strikes and he leaves us in pain, some of us look to the heavens and proclaim that, God, I can't believe you let this happen. I don't know what to say other than the fact that I'm ashamed. We shake our fists at him and some of us throw our Bibles away. That's safety. I remember the first time my security was breached. It was... 16 years ago, it was 9-11 for me and my brother at seven years old looking at the TV screen screaming, we're the land of the free, how could they be doing this to us and me? And you know what, it took 15 years for me to look a Muslim man in the eyes, look at him and treat him like a human being. There's one image of that day that always stuck with me and, and always bothered me. It was right above the crash impact, there was a woman there in the window pane waving at the helicopters, desperately trying to save them. She had this black polka dot dress on. She looked slightly pregnant by the looks of it, and she looked back at the flames and decided not to burn alive. She decided to jump instead. And what got me was the fact that as she was falling, she was holding down her dress. See, she, she knew the whole world was watching, and she didn't want us to see that as she fell to her death. And that was the day that everything changed, a nation and generation forged by fear, anger, and pain. We set off to fight a fight to make a seemingly wrong or right, and we ended up on a path to vengeance leading to more bloodshed, 16 plus years of gold star mothers, brothers, sisters, and husbands, all in the name of healing and forgiveness. That's safety. No amount of folded flags or flags at half mass will keep that safety safe, unfortunately. No amount of likes on that new profile pic will ever make your self-esteem more secure than it already is. That's safety. No Snapchat streak or Facebook rant will ever change the world's mind. Not from behind a phone. You just can't. And that's safety. And that rant can be therapeutic unless you feed the fear-mongering monster that puts you there in the first place. That's safety. And Facebook has been going crazy a little bit lately. Trump is this. Trump is that. Trump is crazy. Trump is trash. Hey, look at this video of this trash talk. I love, I love immigrants, I do. So we're gonna make and we're gonna build a wall. Don't get caught up in all that nonsense because if God wills it, he'll make that wall crumble and fall because this is a nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Donald Trump is my equal. And whether he believes it or not, Donald Trump will answer to God. So therefore you are safe in the eyes of God. Now, I can go, the safety stuff, I can go on and on, but I'm going to take a step back from the fire and brimstone because I do want to assure you that there is safety in God given by him. And I'll 
you know, I'll call, it, I'll call it righteous safety. Yeah, righteous safety, because it's the peace, that's the peace in my heart that he gave me as I started believing in him and he believed in me. And honestly, sometimes I forget about that part, about how much abundant faith he has in us. And I believe that some of us in this room still don't trust that. So I'm going to give you some encouragement. Encouragement for those who are weak in the belief that they are worthy enough, that they are strong enough, that they are good enough to take that leap of faith in the new phase of life, whether it be graduating from school or having a baby on the way or going to a place where they don't feel safe or living in a war zone, living day to day. This is his way, and you were built for this. He wouldn't have given his son if he knew you couldn't do it, so embrace it. All the pain, all the anger and anguish, all the tears, anxiety, and fear, don't worry, they're supposed to be there. This is what it means to be a human and live God's great adventure. Righteous safety does not mean that you're going to be, live a life free of evil and strife, but the fact that you'll be tempted by those things and still be able to live a full life. Righteous safety is about being the peace in the storm. As the rest of everybody else around me is gasping for air, I'll be walking on the water, looking at my Lord Jesus Christ, being the light for those to follow. And if for some reason I fall into the deep sea, all I have to do is reach out my hand. I know he's got me. That's righteous safety. The Holy Spirit allows us to be a grain of salt, the size of a grain of salt, and we still be able to move the mountains and the masses at the will of his call. And it's not that hard at all. That's the power of the Son of God. That is righteous safety. If I leave here tonight with all my perfect imperfections and somehow I spiritually fall flat on my face, I know that I can come back tomorrow and get back up here and sing his praises and you know I will. That's righteous safety. If my enemy slaps me on my cheek, I will turn the other cheek and willingly give it to me, give it to him, not because it's submission from my enemy, but the fact that thou don't offend me. That is righteous safety. And all this abundant faith in us has built this humble confidence that labels us as Christians without even saying a word, without even saying a word, and it allows us to be the peace amongst the chaos. If you want a better example, think about Jesus Christ on that cross. You see, this is the victory of the Lord, if not more than the covering of our sins. This is the righteous promise, and maybe even a hidden promise that you all ought to know, because as Jesus Christ hung up on that tree in pain, and he was looking at the Romans trying to shame him, he looked them in their souls, dead in their eyes, and he said, have no worries, even your sins are mine. And as he gave his name in the name of the Holy Lord, in his name, his soul was smiling through the pain. He was content. He was content with all of this. And this is that hidden promise. Not only did Jesus Christ give us his son, or give his self, his life, for our sins, but he gave his life so that we don't have to kill ourselves trying to live. Don't kill yourself trying to live. Sometimes <clears throat> I wonder what the apple of Eden actually tasted like. Oddly enough, I wonder if it tasted sweet, bitter. Because the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they took that bite of that apple was figured out that they were naked and they made clothes for themselves. So the first 
reality, the first introduction that human creation had to being in this world is insecurity, vulnerability. And we built up, then, then lust came, then greed. And we as Christianity have sort of been focusing on those two and sort of let the safety and the security sort of wane because, because we bought into this illusion that no matter what, if I am a good Christian man, that I pray and that I'm a prayer warrior, that if that I have all this, all this food, all this, all this money, this house and wife and kids and car, all that is for God. And if something happens, like the stock market crash, and you're left with nothing, and you put your identity, all that stuff, and your identity of God, when that stuff happens, it kind of leaves you in an odd place, in kind of a dangerous place with your spirit. And so, Mike, and that hurts. And it hurts, and some of us don't come back from that. And so, and it's been like that, and it had been like that for millions of years through, through Cain and Abel. Um, kingdoms fell, there were riots and, and wars and stuff like that. Um, but at the start of Jesus' narrative, we come across two people, two women, um, who God quite literally turned their lives upside down. And I'm talking about Elizabeth and Mary. Um, and if those of you who don't know, most, most of you probably do know about what, what life for women was back then, um, I'll go ahead and paint you a picture. So women back then, socially, were not allowed to speak to other men without their husband's permission. They weren't allowed to leave the house without their husband's permission. They weren't allowed to um, welcome men in without the, without the uh, permission of the husband. Well, guess who walks in while Mary's alone uh, and uh, tells her that uh, she's going to have a baby, good old Gabriel, right? God sends, sends Gabriel, and he says, this is Luke chapter 1, verse 28, uh, greetings, you who are highly favored, and the Lord is with you. Now, Mary's alone. Joseph is probably out doing his thing, and Mary sits there. What? Who are you? Um, and mind you, back then, being visited by an angel was not necessarily a good thing, necessarily. Um, so he sa she says, well, what are, you, what are you doing here? And Gabriel says, do, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you're, not, and you're to give him the name Jesus. And he basically tells him that he is the son of the Lord High and everything like that. And Mary looks at, looks at him and says, well, I'm a, I'm a virgin. Mind you, back then the, the punishment for adultery was terrible. Stoning, which was not a, a, a fast death, right? And so she looks at him and says, I'm, but I'm a virgin. He says, do not worry. And he leaves, right? Just, just like that, he leaves. I kind of wanted, wanted to be in that room when Joseph came back. Can you imagine what kind of conversation that would have been? You know, hi, honey, I'm home. Joseph, can you sit down, please? <laughs> we need to have a little bit of a talk. 
I'm having a child. Oh, God. Joseph would probably be there saying, that would, that would be a tough, pol- tough pill for me to swallow, me personally. You know, Joseph's sitting there, and he's like, yeah, you're the child of God. You know, I left you here all day, and, you, and I come back, and you're saying you're pregnant with, with God's child. You know, but God kind of does this, doesn't he? Even, heck, Zechariah was a high priest. That's, that's John's, or Elizabeth's husband and, and John's father. He was a high priest, and back then, uh, there were power struggles constantly, right? And he was visited in the temple um, by spirit, and he says, you're going to be, you're going to be a father. We're gonna, Elizabeth will be pregnant, um, and your son will change the world as we know it. You know, paraphrasing, of course. And it mentions briefly in that first chapter that after he learned of Elizabeth's pregnancy, he sent her into seclusion for five months, probably to uh, keep her safe. So there's just a whole lot of anxiety, right? God doesn't, I always wonder, it's like, why didn't God just wait for Joseph to be in the room, right? And, and it's amazing because all four of these people are, are so humble and, and they just rejoice, right? I can't think about even doing that, right? Um, the idea of, of you know, of, of getting an illegitimate child, you know what I mean? And the, you know, the amount of rumors that could have been spread back then. And not to mention that if you had a, uh, it was kind of disrespect or kind of shameful for a man to have a woman who was considered an adulteress and not punish her. So there was, there was a whole lot of, a lot of angst, a lot of anxiousness going around, but they still rejoiced, right? And it keeps on going on, right? In Luke 5, um, ah, da, 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 da. oh, and so John gets born and they sing songs and everything like that. And when he, it's about his time to start baptizing and everything like that. Um, one of our freshmen uh, pointed this out the other day during freshman life group. It's how funny um, that it says that when John was, was finally called, right, to, to start baptizing people and doing his work, he was just sitting there in the wilderness, just like prophesied in Isaiah. He was just sitting there in the wilderness. And all of a sudden, he, gets a, he just feels something, or maybe somebody speaks to him, and then all of a sudden, he just starts baptizing, right? And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes, and he gets baptized, and Next thing he knows, he's off in the desert for 40 days and 40 nights fighting demons off, right? In Luke 5, he comes back, and all through Luke, of course, uh, he comes back, he heals the leper, he heals the paralytic, and then he gets, uh, gets dinner with Levi, the tax collector. I'll go ahead and read that for you in Luke 5, uh, Luke 5, 27, 31. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me. Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have, come, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, back then... People of the church, people of that high power, do not eat dinner with tax collectors and sinners. So what we see here is Jesus is rocking the boat, right? He's just taking everything and flipping it upside down. And next time, and then go, uh, Luke goes on with how he, how he ends up getting his disciples, right? And Peter comes to mind, he just drops everything, and he and his brother just follow Jesus, right? Just follow me. And so what, this, what does this say? Why is this important? That 
I believe that it's if you want to love somebody, and our motto here is love God and love others. And the huge part about loving someone is, is knowing who they are, their characteristics, so you know how to love them. Right? So with all this stuff, what this tells me <laughs> about God is he, he likes a spontaneity, doesn't he? Right? He, just, he loves to put people who are comfortable and flipping them upside down and saying, do my work. And you, but that also tells you a, bot, a lot about how much faith he has in these people. Right? And that's sort of what I was talking about. He has an abundant amount of faith. So when things get turned upside down, um, Donald Trump election, uh, he trusts us to know what to do, that we will grace him in his presence. Um, and another thing that I'd like to point out before I sign off here is, is that safety can be found in others as well. It's something that a gift that we as Christians have just very naturally is that, that Holy Spirit, that, that safety that Jesus had as he was gallivanting around Israel um, and that his disciples were so keen and so not really addicted to but was drawn in by. We have it too. Um, there's a story that Damien actually told me a couple weeks ago um, that I thought was very very pertinent, very, very fitting for this. And it's kind of an old Catholic parable. Um, it's about this, this young priest and this old priest. Um, every, every week they would meet on top of a hill and they'd take all the earnings they had from Sunday last and they would just go down to the city and split up there and give out charity and, and spread the gospel and use all that money to do so. And then at the very end of the day they would meet back up and they'd walk back up to the church and they would be talking and they were really good friends. One day after they came back from the city, the young priest just sat there and, and or was just silent the entire way. And finally, the old priest looked back and said, Brother, what, what's, what's wrong? And the young priest said that I've, I've committed so much sin. I haven't used that, that money for, for the Lord. I've been using it for booze and, and women, prostitutes. And the father of the priest looked at him and he said, Let's go to confession. In fact, I will walk with you down there. I'll even sit with you in that booth so that even the priest that you confess to won't know wh who, which one of us did it. And for the rest of our lives, I will, I will walk next to you so that you don't have to bear that shame. That you are not alone. And that's safety. That is, that is righteous safety. And that is, that is the good stuff because we need that sometimes when life gets tough or maybe we've gone down the wrong path and we've come away from Jesus. Some of us need that, that rock, that safety. And oddly enough, um, I'm usually not a fan of Valentine's Day, um, but I was writing this, this part of the sermon um, and a good friend of mine um, wrote me this poem. He's, a, he's another fan of, of poetry. Um, <laughs> that was awesome um, and it was really fitting to this um, because LFC is a safe place it really is and we know safety when it comes here so I'm going to go ahead and go ahead and read this off it's called The Intern <laughs> an intern walks into the room and says some lame catchphrase I pay him no mind I roll my eyes and keep reading my book he sits next to me, and it's as if I'm sitting next to a Guido. <laughs> he had this Italian accent that could have been fake or not. 
There was a million seats in the room, but he sat next to me, of all people. I could literally smell the guido on him. I asked him what his business was sitting next to me was, and he said that he had a message for me, an important one too. He said, I know what you've lost. I'm like, I know what you're going through. I've lost as you have lost. I'm like you in more ways than you know. The intern got up and left, and so did I, but I left, I left knowing I wasn't alone. See, this, this, that was really nice. Um, love, my gift giving is really not my love language, but that really hit uh, a soft spot. So thank you, Daniel. Um, and it's good to hear things like that as an intern. But the point of that is, is that LSC is a safe place, right? Take refuge here, but also go out and fight the good fight so that others in this world, especially on this campus, who don't quite know that yet, or maybe in the middle of the storm, you can be that light for them. You can be that grain of salt that can move mountains for them. So let's go ahead and do that. Thank you.